tent. Uh, whenever I do this, I always count to ten on my fingers in my pockets. And if we get to ten and no one stood up, I feel like it's probably about time to, to move on. Hallelujah. How many of you are thankful for Jesus? Hallelujah. <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to persecute you for just a little bit. Let me start by reading this verse, and there's no persecution in that part of it. It's 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Hallelujah. Father, uh, just as we, we dip into your word tonight, I want to ask that... Um, the same spirit that wrote it would quicken it so that uh, we would be more conformed to the image of your son. And I bless you for that and I thank you for it and say that you're a good God. All right, well, we've, we've been in the book of Timothy, uh, the, the pastoral epistles, uh, more so in First Timothy, but dipping into the rest of them. And uh, we're not finished, but we got to stop tonight. And so I've been avoiding this scripture, really, because... Uh, how many of y'all have ever heard that verse before? Bill remembers that this was one of our key verses when we got started. Everybody memorized it, and we were always quoting it. Um, and, uh, and so I thought, well, you know, we've worn that out. Let's move on to something else. But uh, I, I kept struggling to try to, to, to do this a different way. But it just seems good for us to come back to a scripture that meant so much to us uh, when we first got started. And so um, one of the things that you've read through Timothy, I don't know if you've paid attention, but uh, Paul has sent Timothy to help establish a church. And over and over and over again, and everything Paul says to Timothy, he always adds something like, and don't forget the scripture. Don't stray from the doctrine or the teaching about Two or three times every chapter, Paul mentions something about you find all of this in the Word of God. And so, Timothy, go and help that church structure itself out of the Word of God. That was a big word to us when we first started. At the beginning of next year, we're going to start, uh, we're going, to start going back through the book of Ephesians. And what we hope to do is we hope to, to, to break the bread for about 15 or 20 weeks and see exactly how the Word of God would have us shape our lives. That's what we did when we first got started. And uh, many people who are here have not gone through that process. You've heard the teaching. You've seen how we do things. But you haven't had the opportunity to stop and slowly meet with God and say, God, how would you have me exist? How would you have me live? How would you have us Build our lives together so it reflects you. So I'm really excited about this next year. 
and all of us together, again, coming back to the Word of God, which is able to save our souls, and to, to seek it diligently and allow the Holy Spirit to quicken to us uh, God's intent and purposes for us as a church. But I want to look at this verse tonight, or these verses tonight, and mention just a couple of things. Uh, the first thing is that there's really two parts to what I read. The first part uh, says that the scriptures or the sacred writings or the holy writings uh, are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. They're able to make you wise for salvation. You can get saved reading the Bible. But then after it says that, and then this very same scripture that's given you is profitable to teach, to reprove, to exhort, to instruct in righteousness. The word of God will lead you to God and reveal God to you and bring you into relationship with him. But then that very same word of God will begin to transform you and give you the ability to be conformed to the image of the household of God. And so I want to look at those two aspects just very quickly tonight. First, that the scripture is able to make you wise for salvation. Now, right off the bat, you've got a, you've got a, I think it's anachronistic is the word to think, oh yeah, I mean, my favorite place to go and, and be convinced about Jesus is fill in the blank. Usually it's John for me, you know. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were made by Him. And then the high priestly prayer in chapter 17. Man, if this wasn't God, then, you know, this, it's so full and powerful and speaks of God. But Paul, when he was writing Timothy, the Scripture was the Old Testament. He was saying that the Old Testament, the Scripture, that is able to make you wise unto salvation. That what we know today, through reading everything that was written by the apostles, those early Christians were able to, to come to wisdom that would bring them to salvation by reading the Old Testament. And how did that happen? Well, in the Old Testament, and Tom, Tom read from Isaiah 53, just the most amazing description of the crucifixion and what happened to Jesus uh, that's ever been written before or after the crucifixion. And that was written hundreds of years before Jesus was born. But the fact is, if you had been reading the Bible and then you heard the history of what was happening to Jesus, you would have said, that is who the Old Testament was talking about because it was so exacting. Over 300 times that it's, it's, it's pretty clear and all kinds of allusions to what this person that was going to be the Messiah would be. I thought it might be nice to look at just a couple of them tonight uh, just to see how, how Timothy would have gone to the Old Testament and say, people, we are in a new era. Uh, I, I think in Galatians it says, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, or when the fullness of times had come, God sent Messiah. And that means everybody alive at that point had been looking for somebody to show up based on what they had read in the Old Testament. So let's go. If you want to go, you can. But if you, I don't mean you can leave. If you want to go, 
to, well, you can do that too. But if you want to go to Genesis, if you want to go with me, go with me. Otherwise, I'll just read it to you. Genesis 28, 14. And your seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and in your seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Now, this is when Isaac is blessing his son, Jacob. And this prophetic word comes that Jacob will eventually have a son, and that son will bless the rest of the world. So there's one thing people were looking for. They were looking to the lineage of Jacob. Okay? Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14 Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. Well, this is the Christmas season, so I think we're all pretty familiar uh, over there. And I think it's Luke chapter 1 where the angel comes and tells her that she's with child and that his name would be called Emmanuel, which is God with us. And so there's a second, just two uh, of the, the, not just 300, the two of the hundreds of places where it's written in advance before Jesus comes. Micah 5.2 says, But as for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you, one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. Long before Jesus was born, a prophet declared the Messiah will be born in Bethlehem. And it was during the reign of Caesar Augustus that he said, all right, everybody who is, is, is uh, everybody must return to your home village in order to pay taxes and, and to take a census. And so Joseph and Mary, who was great with child, traveled to Bethlehem of all places. Uh, and this family of Jacob traveled to Bethlehem. And it just so happens that on that night, Jesus was born. The prophet Isaiah wrote in Isaiah 40 that the Messiah would be preceded by a forerunner. Let's look at that one. Isaiah 40. Comfort ye, comfort ye, my people, says your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished and her iniquity is pardoned. For she has received the Lord's hand double for all her sins. The voice of him crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see. See it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. So the Old Testament declared that before Messiah himself would come, there would be this very powerful prophetic word 
in the wilderness crying out, get ready, get ready, he's going to come. And then we read, sure enough, uh, in the history that records that period of time when Jesus came, that there was this guy named John the Baptist who, uh, uh, who ate locusts. The kids always talk, like to talk about it. He ate honey and locusts. And he, he, he wore rough clothing. And he cried out, prepare ye the way of the Lord. And he preached repentance. And then son of a gun, if Jesus did not show up. Zechariah 11, 12 and 13. And I said unto them, if you... Think good, give me my price, and if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price 30 pieces of silver. And the Lord said unto me, Cast it unto the potter, a goodly price that I was prized at of them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. We know that when Jesus was betrayed, that he was betrayed for what? 30 pieces of silver. And we know that that silver eventually ended up buying space in the potter's field for Judas uh, to be buried. So every aspect of the life of Jesus, there are Old Testament scriptures that spoke about being, being fulfilled. No one really understood it in that sense until the life of Jesus began to unfold. And it was like, it's like these, these mysteries on TV. Things happen. You don't even think about it. When Brenda and I are watching a movie, you know, I'm like, oh, shh, shh. And she, she might ask, because oh, shh, shh. I want to catch everything, because I know everything really means something. The Old Testament light is like that. Every part of it means something, and every part of it means this. The fullness of time will come. The day will come when the very first promise about Jesus, that he would bruise the head of the devil, will come to pass. And over and over and over and over in the Old Testament, he gave these little hints and shadows and proofs that God was going to send someone, somebody, some amazing person. We just did not know that it was going to be his son. But when he came, hallelujah, the scripture was able to make us wise unto salvation because we could believe that in him, in Jesus, all the promises of God are yea and amen. Next year, we're going to have a, a, a guest speaker come who is just amazing at being able to help you see Christ in every page of the Old Testament. And I think the scripture will mean even more to us, uh, this fact that, that uh, the Old Testament is, is able to make us wise into salvation. So Paul's writing to Timothy, and he's saying, look, people need to be affirmed that Jesus is the Messiah. Here's how you do it. Take them to the Bible. Show them over and over and over that Jesus fulfilled all the promises, all of the prophecies. And uh, so, so Timothy would have been uh, like Paul, steeped in the Old Testament, but steeped in Christ in the Old Testament. All right. But then, after that, it goes on, and it says, not only is the Scripture able to do that, but it says 
that it is profitable for some things. It's profitable for teaching. Wait a minute. Everybody say, I'm thankful for the Old Testament. Because it demonstrates to me that Christ is the way to salvation. And it's got to start there. We've got to be convinced that he is God. All right. But then it goes on. It says, not only does the word lead you to God, but it is profitable then beyond that to teach you how to live your life. And so the first thing it says, it's profitable for teaching. And in in my Bible, it says doctrine. Uh, in, In King James, it says doctrine. But in ESV, it says teaching, and I believe in NIV, it says teaching as well. So it's profitable for teaching. Teaching, it's a word that's used when there's sort of a systematic impartation of knowledge that equips and gradually grows. It, it, it has a lot to do with the passing on of knowledge, but it also includes, to some degree, the application of that knowledge. So the Word of God is profitable, it's good to help you begin to grow in an understanding of the ways of God. But not to just understand it, but begin to implement it in your life. And so when you go through Timothy, there are so many, there's so much teaching. I think a lot of times when we talk about teaching or doctrine, we think in terms of soteriology, theology, pneumatology, ecclesiology, neology. Neology is prayer. Um, and, and we think in those terms, but we don't really think in, in, in Paul saying, look, you've got to make sure that you teach out of the word of God. And so there's some pretty interesting things that he teaches out of the word of God. I want to list those for you. And the reason I want to do this is, At the beginning of the next year, uh, the guys are going to come and they are going to teach us out of the word of God how we can be conformed to his image. They're going to start by teaching us about Jesus himself. And then they're going to go from there and they're going to teach us. And and I want you to see the emphasis that Paul puts on Timothy teaching in Ephesus some certain things. So the first thing that I want to point out is in chapter 2. First of all, it teaches that you ought to pray for your political leaders. But at the end of it, the last half of it, it teaches men how they should be men in the body of Christ. And it teaches women how they should be women in the body of Christ. And it ain't the same teaching. And the Bible is able to instruct us in how we are to be men and how women are to be women. The next thing it does in chapter 3 is it goes and it says, if you're going to have leadership in the church, and this is teaching, the Bible is able to help you understand and grow in what it means for leadership in the church. And it lists this whole long line of things that's important for leadership. The husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, 
not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. And later on, it's going to say more about money and how you should think about money. Everybody, the Bible teaches me how I should think about money. He must manage his own household well with all... If you're a visitor tonight, uh, I, I, I probably need to, to qualify. Um, when I say the Bible teaches you, us, how to think about money, I am not talking about tithing and, and giving money to the church as much as I'm talking about how we as a people should care for the fatherless uh, and the widows. I just, just, you know, just, it's just that way now. Any preacher talks about money, it's kind of like, and praise God, the Bible tells you. And, you know, uh, and so it tells you how you should live in relation to money. And since I've already got off and stuck my foot in my mouth, let me just say this. There is a lot of financial advice floating around. There are a lot of people who would try to instruct us in quality of life. But let me tell you something. If you will get into the Word of God and you will allow it to permeate your life, it will shape you and form you in a way financially that makes you a blessing to nations. If you let this world shape you, you will be a great blessing to yourself. But if you let the word of God shape you in regard to finances and value, then you will be a great blessing to the world. He must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. I did well with four out of five. For if someone does not know, I just love to say that so my kids, so we have something to talk about at lunch tomorrow. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Man, that is so amazing. The Bible will teach you this, that one of the primary qualifications for a man to help organize and direct the house of God is for him to first be good at organizing his own house. He must not be a recent convert. He must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace into a snare of the devil. So, when, when Timothy, when Paul tells Timothy, man, the word of God is good for teaching. He's not just talking about theology. He's talking about practical things. So another thing, 1 Timothy 4, 3 through 5, were these lot, a lot of ideas about how, how you should live life, what you should eat, what you shouldn't eat. You know, if you should marry, how you should navigate your single life, all that stuff. Guess what? The Bible, if you read the Bible, it will teach you how to live your life in relation to the things of God. One of the things he does, he goes into the Old Testament, he says, look, after God created everything, he said, it is good. And so if anybody tells you you can't eat something... Well, unless it's a doctor for medical reasons. Uh, and tells you, you can't eat that because of any reason other than, you know, just medical kind of stuff. You can just, no, it's all good. And you can eat it. Bacon is good. And you can eat it. Hallelujah. The Bible says God made everything good. 
not liver. <laughs> now, if you're a vegan and, and, and you have chosen not to eat and you're not imposing that as a, as a religious thing, that, that's fine. I'm not talking about that. But I'm talking about, about there's a lot of people who would go so far as to say it is a sin to eat meat. Uh, and the Bible helps you figure that out. In chapter 5, he talks about how Timothy should relate to the flock. He tells them, older men, and, and this is a whole new way. Just, just think if you went to work and started acting this way. But it says, relate to older men like they're your father. And I, I think Paul had some real wisdom there that, that older men kind of get old. And younger men are kind of with it. And there's just sometimes when older guys, we forget words, don't know how to use the app. Uh, we, you know, we, we, we're a little bit slow. And Paul tells Timothy, look, don't rebuke older men. Treat them like fathers. And then he says, the world that I'm creating that the Bible creates is very, very different. It's, 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 you know, get all you can out there. It's take or, or, or get taken out there. But in here, what I'm recreating through my word, what I'm speaking and what I'm recreating is a family. And Timothy, look at the guy next to you and talk to him like he's your brother. And if you see an older woman who's a little slow, or an older woman who might not have all of her capabilities like before. Don't get frustrated with her. Don't be impatient. But really, honestly, relate to her like a mother. And the girls, don't check them out as the next possibility. But give them a place of safety so that they have brothers that they can relate to, so they can feel protected and strengthened until the day that God gives them in marriage. Amazing. The Bible is able to give us teaching and cause us to grow into the image of the people of God. And then he goes on and says, and as a people, there are going to be situations in the church where people cannot take care of themselves. He chooses, a, he chooses widows. And he says, women who are widows indeed, Listen, we all need to be aware of that one and take care of her. In chapter 6, he goes on, and, and for them it was about servants or slaves and masters and, and sort of redirects what that relationship should be like. For us, when we, skip, when we, when we cross a cultural bridge, to where we are today, we have to think in terms of it teaches us how we should relate to our boss. Let me tell you something. If you have a group of people, a congregation that speaks well of their boss at all times, it's revolutionary. It's revolutionary. It changes people's lives to allow the Word of God to teach us that we should serve our boss. Now, this has been one that, that I have really pounded over the years. And it's amazing to me that sometimes 
people are so stubborn and so stuck in their own fleshly mind that they can't really break down and just submit to God and really serve their boss as though they're serving God. But we have to let the word of God pound through. And we have to, let the, we have to come and let the word of God exegete us. <laughs> we have to come and let the word of God teach us all these things. And Paul says, listen, Timothy, you have got to get into the word of God and teach people how to love each other. Teach them how to treat their employees. Teach them how to relate to, to single people. Teach them how to shape the church. It all comes from the word of God. And so we've got to be a people who don't live in our ideas, but we come to the inspired, quickened Word of God that teaches us how to be godly. And so he goes on. It, it's proper for teaching, and I'm almost finished, and it's going to be 10 minutes early instead of 10 minutes late. Everybody say, Praise the Lord. Say, I'm thankful for quick preaching. I didn't say good, I said quick. I'm thankful for quick preaching. Then it goes on and it says, um, he, he tells Timothy, he says, teach and urge these things. And when he says these things, you know what he's talking about? He's talking about how servants should treat their masters and how masters should treat their servants or relate to the servants. Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different teaching and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness. In other words, he says, this is important stuff. It's not something you choose. It's not something peripheral. God wants you to live this way. Well, he says, teach, and then he goes on to reproof. I think another version might say rebuke, but, but this word means also to convince or to convict. So the Word of God, if you will submit yourself as a student of the Word of God, having come to believe that Jesus is the Christ, then it will begin to shape you and form you and make you a different person as it passes knowledge to you. But here's the good thing. It doesn't just pass knowledge to you, but the Word is like a hammer, and it can finally come to the place that it convinces you Okay, and I'll stick with the boss thing. It will finally convince you some way and convict you that I need to love and respect my boss. I need to treat all women like my sister. I need to, to not be a striker or an angry man. It will convict you. Just, just as sure as you would go before a court and they would come, the jury would come out and they would render the verdict guilty. The word of God can convince you of a truth that is contrary to your old nature. It can teach you, it can convince you, and it can correct you. It is good for correction. Now, I, I, again, I think we don't understand a lot of times what correction is. We think correction is yelling at you. Somebody needs to correct that kid. Will you shut up? But correct is like, so, so in an airplane, you're always in touch with, with, uh, with coordinates. And anytime you get off, 
you have to correct your course. There's a rule called the 160 rule. And here's the rule. For every degree you're off, if you get off one degree, if you fly 60 miles, you're going to miss your target by a mile. If, if you go 120 miles, you're going to be even further off. And the trajectory gets worse. A couple of degrees will put you in Timbuktu. And so you have to continually correct. The Word of God can correct you. Where your life may be leading to disaster, if you will allow the Word of God to shape you, it will move you back into line with God's purpose and direction for your life. And finally, it says, instruction in righteousness. I love this word righteousness because it's not being good. But it's not just being right and other people wrong. It has to do with our standing in relation to other people. It has to do with justice. Who should I be in light of the community in which I've been given? What is a just way for me to live? If you've studied any political philosophy, you know that there was a period of time with Hobbes and Machiavelli that, that they decided what's right? Well, what <laughs> might makes right. <laughs> what is right in a community? Well, strong people need to rule and weak people need to serve. And, uh, you know, the guy with the most money gets the most toys. And, you know, the guy on top rules. But not in the kingdom of God. The word of God instructs us in how we should live our life together. And after Paul tells him, look, the word of God is good for this and it will thoroughly furnish you to be able to use the word of God in such a way that it strengthens the body of Christ. And so we are going to, in just a, a, a couple of five weeks, we're going to go into a time of really studying the word together. And we are going to begin by studying about Jesus. Ephesians in the beginning is just, it is so, um, it just resonates with depth and majesty and everything about God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But then after that, it very clearly explains what he wants us to look like. And so what I'm hoping for and what I'm praying for is that as we get to that part of the scriptures that everybody says, I don't want to just follow some man's idea. I want to see in the word of God how he himself desires for us to live our life together. And for you to come out of that study uh, of three or four months being convinced being, being convinced that this is the way God would have me live. And if you need to be corrected a bit, that you will adjust the way you're living. And so after Paul says this, he says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. I really do honestly believe that I am tonight teaching a lot of teachers.
I believe that many of you are going to become like Timothy and have responsibility to help a church understand what the Word of God says. And so I want you to receive this teaching tonight, not just as a pastor to a church, but I want you to receive it as an older pastor to emerging elders and deacons and pastors. And I count wives in with that. And I want you to say, God is speaking to me to get into his word, to be able to, to, to dis demonstrate Jesus throughout the Bible, in, in season and out of season. And then I am committing myself to come underneath the Bible and allow it to shape me, form me, and teach me so that I can become that teaching and health to the body of Christ. Amen.